John chapter 6, beginning with verse number 1, terminating at verse number 9. Thank you for those of you who are standing and uh, for the reading of the Scripture. This is actually a biblical principle. In the Old Testament, they respected the Word of God so much that they stood when it was read. Somebody said the other day, y'all the most standingest church I know. Well, there's a way to remedy that. If you remain standing, then you won't, you, won't, you won't feel that. You won't feel that up and down cardio. And the second thing is enjoy the cardio, especially if this is the only cardio that you will get this week. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. And a great multitude was following him because they were seeing the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Jesus, therefore, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a great multitude was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread that these may eat? And this he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and ask them this question. Can you let go of your lunch? Amen. Some of you didn't participate. I see you. I see you. Turn to the other neighbor and ask them, can you let go of your lunch? All right, I saw some participation, bless God. We want to delve right into this text. John chapter 6 begins with the term, after this, after this. Good students of the Bible know that whenever you read a verse that begins with the term, after this, you do the text an injustice to go on further. There's a reason why after this is there, along with other words like therefore and wherefore. When you read and study the Bible, don't ignore terms like after this. After this is there because the narrative of this text wants to shape our minds and ideologies to be able to see how one thing segues into another. The after this is there because Jesus, this same story, is told in Matthew chapter 14 uh, at around verse 13 through verse number 27 uh, that Jesus had lost his cousin John. Now watch this. He was bereaved. John was beheaded. John was his cousin, the same one who saw him coming in John chapter 1 and verse number 29 and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which take away the sin of the world. Not only this, but before this, after this, before the term after this, Jesus, even in John chapter 5, had healed the man by the pool of Bethesda. How many of you remember that? I believe Dr. Pointer talked about that last Sunday. Not only was he healing that man by the pool, but whenever somebody got healed by Jesus, they would tell somebody. 
Whenever somebody was delivered, they would tell somebody. Whenever somebody went from lame to walking upright, they would tell somebody. Whenever somebody went from blind to seeing or from deaf to hearing or from mute to speaking or, uh, or from any kind of from sick to better, they would tell people, which proves that before there was Facebook and before there was email and before there was text message and before there was group me and all other forms of social media and communication it proves out to be that the best form of communication even during the Bible times was word of mouth word of mouth cannot be cannot be challenged it cannot be successfully contradicted it cannot be overruled because word of mouth comes from the personal testimony of the person speaking it Imagine how impactful we would be in this community if we didn't just sit down and be quiet about what the Lord has done in our lives. Imagine what would happen if you started sharing with people how you got out of the last fix you were in or how you got off the off of your hospital bed or how you're able to manage your life when working two jobs and feeling like you're going to break down but yet somehow some way you can't even make the ends face each other but God introduces one end to the other and you eating and you drinking and you having a good time and you still dressing and you don't look like any of the mess that you're going through you don't look like that you've been sick you don't look like you've been broke as as a matter of fact, God will bless you in such a way to where you'll have a hard time sharing your testimony and getting people to believe it because you look nothing like you've been through. If we were just to use the simple method of word of mouth, people would know that God is doing something, not just in your life, but if he can do it in your life, he can do it in theirs. In the time of Jesus, that was the mode of communication. We argue and we bicker as to whether or not the email was sent or the text message was sent or the group me was sent or this was sent or was it posted on Facebook? Was it posted on Twitter? And we use all of these things, but some of us need to think about how it was before we could tweet and how it was before we can post and how it was before inboxes and DMs and how it was before group me. You know how it was? It was just like this. You told somebody. You shared with somebody. It was a personal conversation. This crowd accumulated behind Jesus, not because an email was sent, but because one lame man told a blind man, who, and a blind man told a deaf man that the reason why I'm not blind anymore is because there is a man from Galilee named Jesus. He ain't giving out money, he ain't giving out denarii, he ain't giving out Benjamins, but he's giving out power, he's giving out ability, he's giving out the power to be more than what I am. Lord have mercy if we can get back to the day where you no longer shut your mouths about what the Lord has done for you but tell somebody if God has done something for you let the redeemed of the Lord Open your mouth and say something. You prayed and you cried. You cried and you prayed. And when God gets done delivering you and the dust settles and you come out standing tall, don't just keep your mouth shut. Open your mouth and tell somebody. The Christian that does not share his testimony is the ATM machine that puts out no money. 
good for nothing but to be there and look like. It doesn't matter how much you're stimulated by the card of somebody needing to know your testimony. They can put in their code, but nothing comes out. And I'm here to tell you that if God has deposited something in your life, when the opportunity, when the ATM card of opportunity comes to you, you ought to put out a testimony. Well, this is how this crowd got accumulated behind Jesus. They now, now Jesus would often have to find himself getting away from the crowd. Let me tell you something. Be not dismayed. Let me encourage some of you of this. There is nothing to feel bad about, and I said this before, about getting away from people. Don't stop feeling guilty for that. Even Jesus got away. Jesus, the very son of God, he could have spoke healing to people as they were coming. He could have just said, everybody sick, be healed. And everybody in the whole world would have been healed. But his purpose for healing people was not primarily so that they can feel better, but it was primarily for the men who were watching him do it. Here this crowd comes around, but he's way in the mountains and he's sitting with his disciples. The Bible says... And somehow, some way, somebody caught a glimpse of where Jesus was. And when that person caught a glimpse where Jesus was, perhaps he nudged the next person, and the person that he nudged nudged the next person. And somehow, some way, even though Jesus was taking a private and personal hiatus, he finds himself with the same crowd he had left to get some reprieve from. Jesus didn't turn them away. Aren't you glad the Lord got time for you? Somebody in here ought to be glad that the Lord got time for you. I've learned that people don't always have time for you, and there's nothing wrong with that because we're human. You don't have time. Sometimes you're really asking how a person is doing because you just want them to give the standardized answer back to you. Fine, I'm well, I'm blessed, I'm highly favored. But you really don't want their whole story all of the time. Somebody said, you judging. Okay, everybody, whoever says I'm judging, raise your hand so that if there's anybody that wants to share your whole life and every detail of everything you're going through, you can share it with them. They got time. Don't get mad at people because they don't have time. Don't expect out of people what only the Lord delivers. Stop making Jesus out of people. Stop having God expectations out of people. Everybody in this place is flawed. Everybody is flawed. You may not look it, your hair may be laid, may be permed, may be put in good, may be stitched in good. You may have a number 32. You may have your MAC makeup on and your lip liner and eyeliner, and those may not even be your eyelashes. But let me tell you something, baby, underneath all of that makeup and paint and fashion fair and MAC is a person that is flawed, baby. We're just trying to convince others that we're not as flawed as we are. All of us are. So they would find their way to Jesus. The disciples were with Jesus, but they didn't find their way to the disciples. They found their way to Jesus. They found their way to Jesus. Jesus sees them coming, and they're coming with what they want. But Jesus had a habit of seeing what people needed. Because people will often come with what they want and not be have any idea of what they need. We pray, and often we pray for what we want, 
But the reason why the Holy Spirit has to make intercession for us while we pray is because some of us don't even know what we need while we are praying for what we want. Jesus saw these people coming to be around Jesus for healing for a part two of deliverance and, and miracle ministry. And the Bible says that Jesus noticed that these people were hungry. Have you ever been so driven to do something that you forgot to eat? Don't lie now. Some of us never forget to eat. But you can get so busy and caught up into doing something, you can be in such hot pursuit for something that you will forget about your appetite. Has ever, anyone ever had the moment in their day where they say, oh, wait a minute, I didn't even eat. And those of us who have diabetes, your sugar will tell you. Amen. Somebody wave their hands. Amen. Amen. If you have diabetes, throw your hands in the air. No, just kidding. <laughs> Jesus says, what are they going to eat? Now, here's what I want you to see. And these are the points I'm going to make briefly. The Bible says in verse number uh, five that Jesus turns to Philip. I don't know why he turns particularly to Philip. But I need you to know that Philip is not the only one there. All of the disciples are there. He turns to Philip in particular, and he says, where are we going to get food to eat for all of these people? Or where are we going to buy bread that these may eat? Now, verse number six tells you the plot. The Bible says that Jesus was saying this to test him. Watch part B of verse number six. Watch it. This is for your life. He was testing Philip because, part B of verse 6, he already knew what he was going to do. I need you to know that Jesus doesn't wait till we present our problem before he already knows what he's going to do. Here, Philip, he asked Philip a question, and Philip began to answer the question, but while he asked him the question, he already knew what he was going to do. Jesus, in his ministry, had a habit of asking questions, even though he already knew what he was going to do. Why did Jesus even propose the question if he already knew what he was going to do? Because he needed the disciples to explore their own limits. Oh, my God. He needed the disciples to explore how limited they were. A miracle is not a miracle if you can do it. It isn't something to be amazed about if you can do it. You don't need God if you can do it. And so what Jesus does is he's testing him, he's testing him by giving him an opportunity to look at his own limited, to look at his own resources, to come to a certain conclusion, but all the while he knew what he was going to do. I need you to see this pattern in the ministry of Jesus in John, Mark, in Mark chapter, Matthew chapter 8, when Jesus was sleeping on the bottom of the boat and the wind was blowing and the water was dashing and the waves were crashing against the boat Jesus knew what he was going to do that's why he was not disturbed with that storm because while he's sleeping he knew what he was going to do in Matthew chapter 14 when they were by themselves the disciples on the water don't you know when Jesus came walking on the water he already knew what he was going to do in John chapter 9 with the man that was born blind born from his mother's birth uh, from his birth 
Don't you know that when Jesus confronted that man and that man had a conversation with Jesus and the disciples were saying, who sinned, this man or his parents? Before he did anything, he already knew what he was going to do. In John chapter 11, when Mary and Martha sent a message to Jesus saying, he who you love is sick. Don't you know Jesus knew what he was going to do? He knew what he was going to do when he stayed back extra days so that Lazarus can go from being sick to dying. He already knew what he was going to do. And the last time you got into a jam and in trouble and you didn't know how you were going to get out, I need you to know today that God already knew what he was going to do. The last time you were broke as a joke and had no money in your pocket or in the bank and you owed money so if you got money you really wouldn't have it it would just be your bank account catching up and getting out of the negative back while you were wondering back while you were worrying back while you were thinking of who you can borrow from God already knew what he was going to do when your loved one got sick and you thought all was down and you cried and you prayed and you prayed and you cried and you asked the church to pray for you I need you to know that God already knew what he's going to do. That's why the child of God doesn't have to fall victim to worry. Because though I may not know what God is going to do, I trust that God already knows what he's going to do. Some of us forget that. And we begin to take the reins in our own hand. Forgetting that what we are up against is a problem for us. It's a trouble, it's trouble for us. It's a tribulation for us. It's a season for us. But how many of you know that when winter starts, God is already in springtime waiting for us to get there? Because he already knows what, what? What he's going to do. Well, the Bible says Jesus already knew what he was going to do. But he needed Philip to know that he was at a certain place. Everybody look in verse number seven. Bible says, Philip answered him, 200 denarii, 200 denarii worth of bread is not enough. Not enough. Hear me, pay attention, wake up, look at me. God is gonna tell you something that you're gonna need Wednesday. You don't even know it. You're just comfortable. You laid back with your mind on your whatever. <laughs> hear me, hear me. Tap, turn to somebody and tap them. Tap the person next to you. You know I can see you. I get it. These seats. Like I said, did we in, when, we, when are we scheduled to install those buzzers? Those electrical shocks? <laughs> hear this. Sometimes the only thing between us and what God is going to do is a realization that what we have is not sufficient. God is waiting for some of us at a place called not enough. But we never get there because we think we got it. Innate in human nature is a I got it attitude that starts when we were children. Don't you remember when you would reach up to mama and daddy 
or grandma or whoever it was, and they would put you on top of something or put you on the staircase or put you on the table, and if you wanted to get off the table, guess what you would do again? You would reach back for them. Maybe I'm talking to people that didn't have a childhood. Maybe, let me talk to this side. Huh? Your kids, pick them up, put them on the table. They let you. And when they were ready to come off, they reached back for you. That was a sign that I trusted you to get me up here. And now I got to trust you to take me off of here. But what happens when they get older? You put them on the table, they might let you do that. But when it's time to go come off, you know what they say? They brush your hand away and they say, I got it. And they struggle and stumble and that's good in human growth and development, but that's not good when you're a child of God. God wants us to have a childlike faith that brings us to the conclusion that even when we think we got it, we still need the Lord. We need them when we think we got it. We need them when we think we can do it. We need them when we think we got enough. God is bringing us to a place where we accept that we're not enough. What we have is not enough. Let me tell you something about this move you may not know. We have, were just in the meeting with the lenders talking about all that needed to be done to this building that before we got a, what's called a certificate of occupancy. A certificate of occupancy says that it's safe and the city approves you to move in. That's why we're sitting here today. Amen. We were in the meeting, talking to the lenders, talking among ourselves. And based upon our conclusion, we concluded that it would be another three to six months. You remember that, brethren? Before we can get a CO because there were certain aspects of the building that had to be fixed. We had to make everything ADA compliant and the roof had to be fixed and this had to be fixed. And now we had all of these things that needed to be fixed but our well of finance were dried. In that meeting. We left that meeting with our minds at a place of not enough. When we left the meeting, watch this, the city was coming here to grant us our CO. Y'all missed that, y'all missed that. When we came to the conclusion that we don't have enough, God sent the city to say yes, you know why? So that we don't walk away patting ourselves on our back and saying it was us. We came to a place where we knew we had enough. We didn't have it, we don't have it. Don't know what we're gonna do. And sometimes God is waiting for you and I to get to that place where we say, I don't know. The problem is some of us know too much and God will hold his hand of blessing until we figure out and get smart enough to know that we don't have it, we don't know, we're not enough, we don't have enough, and that's when God will move. I don't know if y'all realize that. There was apprehension in the leadership. But when we stood before you, we had to stand strong. Because leaders that look scared create members that are scared. 
So our little faith we had, we had to present it. But God was waiting as if God was waiting for us to realize that we can't do it. Then God said, you ready now. You're not ready because you got this fixed. You're not ready because you got that fixed. You're not ready because you had enough money. You're not ready because the roof is perfect. You're not ready because everything's perfect. You're ready because you came back to a dependence on me. So here Philip has come to some conclusions. It's not enough. We, we, don't, we don't have it. Then Andrew, after Philip came to that conclusion, grabbed and recognized, hey, there's a lad here. Watch this. If Jesus, in verse number six or so, knew what he was going to do, then either that means he knew the lad was in the right position. Or it could mean that he knew what he was going to do, but didn't know how. I can't believe that Jesus knew what he was going to do, but had no idea how. Because if he knew what he was going to do, but no idea of how, he wouldn't be all-powerful. So this means while Philip was looking at his money, Jesus already had his mind on the lad. Because he knew what he was going to do. Finally, Andrew, watch this, says there's a lad. Pay attention. This was not Andrew's finding. This was Andrew's discovery. Oh God, y'all don't, y'all, y'all here. Where, where, which part of the audience should I talk to? I don't know, maybe this part. Andrew did not find the lad. He discovered the lad. Some of you don't get it, here it is. Christopher Columbus did not find America. He discovered it. Because you can't find something that God already provided. Don't miss this. We look at the text with a surface eye and we say, look, Andrew went and found it. No, he didn't find it. Remember, Jesus knew what he was going to do. So much so that he knew which pieces were in which places. So that when Andrew came to the lad, it was not just that a lad happened to be there, but this lad was part of the plan of what Jesus knew he would do. Don't call it you finding it, call it God providing it. Which means the word provide, inherit, means to give or to supply before. Pro means ahead of time. Pro carries the idea of before. That means God gives it to us before. Before what? Before we know we need it. Yeah. Somebody's about to be, be fired on your job. Somebody was just fired. Somebody was just laid off. And you're worried now. And you're trying 
to find a job. Do you not know the way God provides is the job that's yours is already waiting on you? Somebody say, yeah, that sounds good. Now, see, when you operate by sight, all you, have, all you have to go on is what you find. When you operate by faith, you have what God provides to go on. And if you find something and think it's yours, based on your finding, you may find that you have something that God didn't provide. Some of y'all are missing this. You're missing this. You're too comfortable. If you find a man... Yeah, that woke some people up. A man? A man? Girl, he said a man. Oh, let me sit up. He said a man. See, that's the problem. And I know the proverb says, he that findeth the wife findeth the good thing. Now, let me tell you something. And that's part of the expedition. But I'm talking about through your effort. You hunting. When you don't trust God's providence, sometimes he'll let you find something that he didn't provide to teach you a lesson, the same lesson that he taught Philip. When Philip started counting, he recognized we don't have enough. And sometimes when you don't wait for God to provide and he'll let you find something, and guess what resolve you end up coming to? He's not enough. She's not enough. Well, the lad, as we close, the lad, the lad. I need you, those of you who are scholarly, those of you who are theologians, and we have some in here. You study your word, you do word study, you do exegesis, and you do an exegetical exposition of the text and you make sure that the text is in context and you try to avoid pretext because pretext makes you and creates a false, a false perception of the word and you want to make sure that you eisegete and don't, you exegete and don't eisegete. You want to pull out of the scriptures. You don't want to pour into the scriptures and you have five years of Greek and three years of Hebrew and two years of French and one year of hood. In every miracle, every miracle, there's a hint of the scheme of redemption. Every miracle Jesus performs. I don't want to take for granted that you know what scheme of redemption is. The scheme of redemption is God's plan to save man. There's a little bit of God's plan to save us, humanity, in every miracle Jesus performs. See, some father sent his lad. And when that father sent the lad, the lad gave his lunch so that people will be saved from hunger. Some of you, I get it. Pay attention, pay close attention. The parents sent the lad, and he sent the lad with his lunch. Let me paint more picture. 
It was his only lunch. It was his only lunch that he had gotten from his father. In order for 5,000 plus people to be saved, he had to sacrifice his lunch. No, you still don't get it, okay. A dad who loved his son sent his son and the son sacrificed his lunch to help others. Yeah, I don't see that. This lad was in type, in shadow, doing what Jesus himself would do for the whole world. You don't see it? A lad. One lunch. His only lunch. 5,000 and plus people who watched this who didn't even know the lad. While they were yet hungry, the lad sacrificed his lunch so that those who did not have food can have food and live. Don't you know this lad represents what Jesus did for us? God sent forth his son, his only begotten son. His son sacrificed his life. Why? So that thousands of people in the world cannot live being lost, but can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. This lad was a foretaste of the very Jesus who was going to do with his lunch what this lad was demonstrating with his sacrifice. Pay attention. Because in every miracle, God puts a little bit of what's going on in eternity. Now, what would have happened if the lad didn't sacrifice and couldn't let go of his lunch? What if when he was there, and he was there, Andrew didn't go find him, he said, there's a lad here. There's a lad here. What if he said, you know what? I need this. Sorry. What, what if he, he said that? Well, we knew that couldn't have been the case because Jesus already knew what he was going to do. This lad's name is not mentioned. Nobody knows of who he was. And here's the practical application, y'all. You don't have to be a big somebody in the kingdom for God to use you. You don't have to be on this committee or that committee. We want you to be on committees. Be on committees. Work the thing. But guess what? You might be just somebody on the committee and nobody might know your name. You get sick and nobody calls you because nobody knows who you are. You get, you, something happens in your family and nobody calls. Don't get sour about it. Don't get sour about it. You can be working for the church. You can be doing something for the church. Something significant, but you hide behind the shadows. And for those of you who are introverts, you like to work, but you don't want your name called. That's all right. Just know that God sees. He sees and he knows and don't withhold your sacrifice because you're looking for the popularity that comes with being recognized as the one who gave it. Amen. That boy's sacrifice fed 5 
5,000 people when he gave it to Jesus. What will your life do when you decide to give it to Jesus? I mean, how many people will be helped because you give up your life for the Lord? Or are you having a hard time letting go of your lunch? Are you having a hard time letting it go? Why? Because it's all I have. My mama, 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 my mama gave it to me. If you would just let it go, then you would go down in history as someone who played a small part in a big miracle. You will go down in history as having shadowed the very thing that Jesus did. God gave us this blessing, and it's good, it's comfortable. I know it's comfortable. I see you. It's very comfortable to some of you. Too comfortable for some of you. I see you. You're snug. But let me tell you something. This is just brick and mortar. If you really want to see lives change because we are here, we already have building and lights and carpet and very snug AMC 30 Cinemark seats. We got that already. But if you want to see Mountain View, people's lives change, then you got to learn, and I have to learn, to let go of our lunch. Release the sacrifice. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. This is your church. And we're not here to just gather and have church and have good church and brag about church and record the singers and record this and record that and say, oh, we had good church today. There's a neighborhood of people. There's a community of people who need to know the Lord. They're hungry. And what the few of us have is not enough. We need to all let go of our. God bless you. Everybody stand.